the sermon today comes out of a, uh, a sharing of some of my life with the shepherds last Monday. There was another sermon lined up for today. But they said I, that they felt the church needed to hear some of this as well. I truly believe that we could build the largest church in the state of Tennessee merely by bringing in those that have been hurt and disappointed by other churches. I truly believe that if we brought in those people who have tried Christianity and been bruised and broken over it, we could build an amazing church. I said that to somebody once, and they said, yes, but what would it be able to do? Because you have to keep taking care of each other. I said, no, no, no. I think God actually likes the bruised and broken. I think that he likes them a lot. The Bible talk, says this, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll share as much as I can here without this becoming just a, a Patrick's a thing about me. But in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You've heard that many times before, I'm sure. But I want you to think about it. I want to talk to you people today that just can't wait for family prayer time. I want to talk to those of you today that one of your touchstones, as we talked about last week, is prayer. For some of us, it isn't. For some of us, every time we've drawn near to God, we got burned. Every time we got closer to the holy fire. I'm one of those people. I am Israel. Now, if you wonder what I mean by that, you haven't read your Old Testament enough. God gave a name to his people. He took away their name, Jacob, and he said, you will be Israel, those who wrestle with God. I've always had to wrestle with God. I, you know, some of you were born, the doctors you know, spanked you on the hind end, and you went, praise Jesus. Not me. I pulled a knife on him. We're not going to discuss how I had it. Just, just work on this. And growing up in the pews, I would hear stories about God doing tremendous things, and I believed the stories. But then in my own life, I kept running against brick walls. I kept getting hurt, and I kept wondering, what's going on here? Is Christianity just a good idea that works for some people who have the gift of faith? And some of you do. Some of you do. Let's just face it. You have the gift of faith. Whether you were born with it or you developed it or God gave it to you later, you've got it. And you believe anything that happens, you'll, you'll find a way to put a positive spin on it. You need to know that sitting in the same pews with you are people who grit their teeth and their heart hurts when they hear those positive spins. Whenever at a funeral of a child, somebody says, I guess God needed another angel. Or this is all in part of God's wonderful plan. It's everything I can do not to come out of the pew and do something unchristian. So I just do it inside. It's a struggle. I am not Abraham. I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. My name is Isaac. I am the one whose father got so close to God that it hurt the family. Let's talk about this. I find the Bible endlessly fascinating, not just because of what's in there, but because of what isn't, like rules on worship. 
you would suspect that there are a lot of books on the rules of worship from the New Testament, and there's not one directive except worship God in spirit and in truth. Love one another. That's about it. Now, true enough, loving one another will keep you busy. If you're sitting around thinking, oh, what am I supposed to do today? Well, love one another. Oh, again, yes. Yes, again. There's also not just what's not in there, but what's in there that always amazed me. Stories like, and our smallest ones are we, so the rape of Tamar, I wouldn't have put that in. I wouldn't have put in the book of Esther without at least mentioning God. Are you aware? He's not even mentioned in there. Doesn't get a shout out in the whole book. I would have dropped some of Abraham's mistakes. I wouldn't have put in a whole book called Complaints, Lamentations. And I wouldn't have written a songbook for the Old Testament people where fully one-third of the songs are laments. Where are you, God? We're not seeing you. We're dying here. Doesn't anybody care? But God did. So I want to talk to you people with the gift of faith, that you feel like you've got to rush to God's defense at all times and be happy all the time. Stop it. Because for most of us who do not have the gift of faith, but who have to work for it, that's painful. And we wonder if you've got your eyes open. Because we see the laments and we're going, I'm right there with you. I know how that feels. I don't intend to to share too much here today. I will just say, I've buried a lot of friends. I've buried a lot of family. Somebody uh, was asking, well, why weren't you up there for the birth of your granddaughter this week? Well, I had work to do, and in our family, duty is first. But also, my daughter-in-law's family, there are about 800,000 of them. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They just keep more, keep showing up. Uh, Our family could have a family reunion right here if it wasn't, you know, the court order problem. But we we could gather here. And somebody goes, really? And I went, yeah, we've always been soldiers. But not all that good at it, I guess. But there aren't that many of us. And I said, I'll go up next month when it'll just be me and we Addison. That'll That'll be our time. What I'm trying to say is we come from different places. We have different families. Isaiah cries. Jeremiah cries. And God tells him, I love you so much, but you need to know something. It's never going to get better. He does. He tells him that on the day one he commissions him. He says, I'm go- I've decided to make you a minister. And Jeremiah goes, I don't want to be. And he says, well, sorry. Before you're born, I figured this one out. You're going to be a minister. And you're not allowed to go to parties. You're not allowed to get married. There will be no fun. Jeremiah goes, do you have the right house? Because, you know, God's going, yeah. I know what that's like. I was not supposed to be born. The doctors told my mother she could have no more children. She'd had two daughters, though, and she had already she'd promised God that one day she was going to give him a son like Hannah gave away Samuel. And so she prayed, I was born, and before I was born, they determined to give me away to God. That they did it wrong, 
but their heart was in the right place. There were no games. There was not fun time around. And you all hear people say, oh, when we were kids, we got into all this kind of trouble. I didn't have the chance. I was too busy memorizing the Jewel Miller film strips. Literally, I had to stand there and quote everything while my dad flicked the little switch. I'm, I did everything but the ding. Some of you will know what that means. I had to, uh, my father would, we would go early to church and he would stack up crates for me to get behind the pulpit and he'd critique me teaching from the age of six. That was childhood. As, my, as I told you last week, my wife has often said, it's amazing you haven't climbed a tower with a rifle. And I say, that's true, as far as you know. Um, and I love the book of Hebrews, that great chapter of faith. But have you ever read the last half of it? And it says, now there are a lot of other people who... They were faithful too, and they got sawn in two, torn apart by wild beasts, and, all, and just a big old, they don't even get named. They don't even get a byline here. It's just, now all these people had horrific lives, but God really appreciated them. I want to talk to you if you're one of those people, because I'm your minister. We have ministers here who have the gift of faith. We have um, and Albert, I didn't ask your permission to say this, and I hope, I hope it's all right to say it. I think Albert is a great man of faith. And we all know he's a great man of prayer. And every so often, he'll invite me to a prayer thing, and I'll just kind of lean in and just say, just mention me once or twice, that's all. All right, then we'll be good. Because the closer we got to God, the more it broke our family. I was Isaac. Have you ever thought about Isaac? What's it like to be raised by a legend of the faith? Not so good. You might not, never heard of my father, but that's all right. In our particular wing of the church, he was a, a star and still is greatly beloved. And, and, you know, I'm not against the man. I'm just saying there are consequences here. What's it like? Not so good sometimes. Think about Isaac, that whole walk to Mount Moriah, the whole climb up here. He sat most of his life after that on the other end of the pew from God. Have you ever noticed? Abraham, very close to God. Jacob, very close to God. All the others, very close. Isaac, over there. Why? I think it has something to do with what God almost happened to him because of the whole God thing. I love the rabbis. The rabbis tell us that the word there and the tradition is that he was not a child, but 37 years old when this happened. And I was going, you know, in, in one level, that does make the story make sense. Because if you've got a 37-year-old that's still living at home, <laughs> the sacrifice thingy is not that big a deal. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with his age or the like. All I can say is that when I hang out with atheists, which I do quite a lot in science and Richard Dawkins and all these, they will bring up this story as a sign that God is cruel and mean and harsh. Many Christian scholars say he was in his late teens, or I don't know. All I can tell you is I am Isaac. My father heard the, the call of God when he was in the Korean War. That's an, that'll tell you something about our family right there. Uh, Britain wasn't in it yet, and my father couldn't wait to fight, so he came to America and signed up. Just 
got to shoot. Somebody, it's got to be legal. Let's go, you know. So came over. During, I won't go through the whole story, but he uh, had a near-death uh, ex- uh, situation and cried out, oh, my God, and realized he didn't have one. Thought it might be good to go find one. When he found one, he went all the way in. And you need to know something. I owe him. Because he also brought our family out of generations of poverty, out of generations of no education. And I've told him many times, I said, if I had been born first, you would have still been born in poverty and without education. Because my spiritual gift is sitting. And I do that unto the Lord. (laughs) He never sat. Never had a hobby. It was all God all the time. And he brought faith to a family that had none. And whenever my father then decided... he. Before he was baptized, he decided, I'm all in. I'm going to be a minister. My, my mom said she almost swallowed her teeth at that point because he had shown no sign of being interested in God at all. And then a week later, I'm going to be a minister. She was having to deal with all of that in her head. But when he became a minister, he went all the way. And the family suffered because the family were now merely tools for the church. They weren't kids. They, they weren't, whatever, you know, my, I have a sister who lost her life due to a lifetime of drugs because of this. Another who, the legalism shattered her, and she's now circling God again, and I'm very grateful for that. Had another sister who disappeared. Don't know where she is. It was harsh. Prayer was difficult. We believed in God, but to us, he was not the voice from the fire or the, the sweet, you know, I come to the garden alone kind of God. It was the God that you, if you clap during church or you do something wrong, you're dead. Some of you grew up in that church. As we started singing and Mark was leading the praise team, and I think the whole team did a brilliant job, I um, turned to my wife and I said, it's been a long road. It's been a long road to where we were, because my wife is in the same situation, to where we are today. And I don't think he's done, but thank you, God, for the road. I love God, but I'm not going to do sweet hour of prayer. There's a line in that song, sweet hour of prayer. There's one of the verses, and some books leave it out, and God bless them for it. But it says that when the world ends and they're floating up to heaven, that they're going to turn around saying, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to be fine with him in the same area. And as it is now, I ping God. Now, everybody over here knows what I mean when I say I ping God. They, they, they don't. It's an electronic signal. Just kind of, you there? Good. And we're good. That's the way I'm wired, by the way. I'll tell you a wee story just to illustrate that. My mom went to see my mom, and uh, we were, I was taking her into a place, and she goes, oh, look at that. Do you know who that is? And I went, no, I don't. And they said, oh, when we lived here for about a year when you were a boy, and you and he played together. You were best friends. And I don't, didn't remember him. I finally went, oh, all right, fair enough. She goes, oh, you got to come over, got to come over. And she goes, oh, here you Do you remember Patrick and Patrick? And she just set it up. She was so excited. And, I, and when she was done, we just looked at each other. And I said, you doing all right? And he goes, ah, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I said, fine. And we walked off. My mom goes, that was disgusting. And I looked at her and I said, you know what the best part is, mom? We're all caught up. 
When I talk to God, I love God with all my heart. He is my lighthouse. I do believe he will carry me through the storm. But I don't believe that necessarily I'm going to enjoy the trip. And I may not survive it. My faith in God is not that he's going to make everything good for me here. My faith in God is do more to facts than feelings. You know, there are a lot of songs that people sing, and I'm not going to give illustrations because it'll be your favorite song. But I refer to them as girl with guitar, Jesus is my boyfriend songs. And I need facts. I need it on the ground. You might be one of those people too, who church people hurt you. Or who you prayed for something and your child died or your mother died. I'm one of my best friends. In fact, he is my best friend. Got cancer two years ago. We prayed and we pray and we pray and he gets better and we pray and we thank God and the next month he's worse again. The very day our granddaughter was born, his wife texted out the tumors that were removed two months ago are back and there are two extra. And so I'm thanking God on one hand, and on the other hand, kicking at the door of heaven saying, did you not listen? We've been talking to you. By the way, God doesn't mind being talked to like this. That's why he put all those psalms in there. That's why he put lamentations in there. That's why Isaiah and Jeremiah are in there. That's why Jesus is even saying, if there's another way to do this, I would appreciate it. He didn't say it quite that way. He said it in more of a churchy way, you know. Let thy will be done. Well, you know, let this cup pass, but that's what he meant. I'd like another plan. But God will take us through. And if you are Isaac, I get that. If you find yourself around prayer champions, you're looking around going, what do I do? What do I do here? You, you run across stories like the Charlie Stolfus story and wonder, what in the world? I'll explain friend of mine named Tony Campolo, some of you may have heard of him, he's done a lot of writing, he's kind of famous, and he was going to go speak at this church, and he was, right before he was speaking, they said, can we gather around you and pray? He said, oh, yes, yes. And so they said, well, kneel, so he knelt, and they all put their hands on him. The problem is, they were all kind of old men, and so the longer the prayer went, the more they leaned and he's, he's starting to get hurt and pushed down now because he's kind of old too. And they, they, he said he wouldn't have minded so much, but they quit praying about him about three minutes in. They were praying about other stuff. And they were praying about Charlie Stolfus. They said, Father, please be with Charlie Stolfus and find a way to bring him home. You know Charlie. He lives in the third trailer on the second street in this particular township. And, and Tony's thinking, you're giving him the address? And they go on and on. He's left his family and they are so lost without him and this, that, and the other. And so finally he gets up and he teaches. Drives home. He's on the Pennsylvania Turnpike when he sees a hitchhiker. Picks him up. So he's driving along. He says, how are you doing? The guy goes, well, I'm doing all right. And he said, uh, you know, what's your name? The guy says, Charlie. Tony looks over at him. Guy's got a little puffy eyes, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure what to do with my life right now. And like, After a few miles, Tony just, without a word, just gets off the exit, goes around, goes back the other way. His hitchhiker now is starting to go up. He's remembering all the movies, and he's 
he's, he's up against the wall there, and he says, what, what, what are you doing? And the man, you know, Tony looks at him, and he goes, your name is Charlie Stolfus, and you just left your family, and I'm taking you back. And his eyes got about this big. He says, who are you? And he says, God sent me. Without another word, he drives right to where Charlie lived. Charlie's wife comes crying to the, the, the trailer door there, and uh, Charlie bolts out of the car, and who wouldn't? Gets up there, their heads get together for a little while. They both turn with these huge eyes. Tony just walks in and says, both of you inside, sit down. God wants me to talk to you. Now, I hear those stories. I love those stories, but I don't like those stories too. And you understand what I mean? Because isn't it rare we get those kind of stories in our lives? We do. We hear about people getting hungry in Africa and they prayed and the next thing they know, a truck showed up with food and the person said, we don't know where to take this food. And I know those things happen. And I know God does them. But we need to be honest and say that's not our normal experience. Normally, we pray, give us this day our daily bread, then we have to go out and find it and work for it and hope we can pay the bills. Are you Isaac? This is your church. Are you full of prayer? This is your church. This is going to be a church. It already is on its well on its way where all of us can live together with no judgment, with peace, and where we can speak openly about our hearts without the fear of judgment. This is going to be the place, and already is well on its way, where we can come around the table without fear. Are we doing something wrong? Are we all right or not? We can pray earnestly, sweat dropping off of us, knowing God's listening, and right beside that person could pray, thinking, I'm not really sure if anybody's listening, and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the praying person will carry the one who's struggling. And the one with faith will carry the one who is Isaac. Maybe you've come under the influence of people that demanded too much of you, and demanded that you pretend that you're all shiny, happy people. To borrow a phrase from R.E.M., if you don't know who R.E.M. is, sorry. <laughs> what a sad wee life you... Anyway, um, because I want to talk to you, Isaacs. God blessed Isaac. Blessed him anyway. I look back over my life, and not, a, not one of my blessings was intentional on my part. I want that blessing. I will now pray for it and move toward there. They just keep giving to me. Isaac didn't like drawing near to God. He and Rebecca were childless for a long time. It was a, it was a terrific source of embarrassment and tension between them. And it went on for years and years and years and years and years. And then the Bible says, and then Isaac prayed. He didn't even pray that whole time. As soon as Isaac prays, God gives him twins. Kind of like, so there. In other words, God's not to blame for our problems. We just got the wrong picture. We visit, maybe we looked upon him as a cosmic vending machine. Maybe we looked upon him as a demanding Thor, God of thunder, when he's father and he wants to walk with us through this. So he says, just talk to me. Isaac talked to him. Got him twins. What a blessing. And yet, 
when he struggled at the end of his life, and we all know the story. Well, some of us know the story. Some of you may not be Bible people, and we get that. We really do. You're welcome here, too. But whenever they, you know, Jacob and Esau have, you know, these issues, and we get that, Isaac finds a way to bless each of them in the name of the Lord. He'd been around God enough to know the importance of blessing his sons, not cursing them. Do you remember the Bible says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't put too much on them. Don't demand too much. In our family, we had an expression, and it changed all the time. Let's say that my daughter was five, and she knocked over a, a, a glass of milk at, at dinner. We'd, we'd go, oh, Cara, you're acting like a five-year-old. And she'd say, well, I am five. We'd say, well, well done you then. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. And that changed all the way through. Whatever it was, we, we celebrated who they were. Even to the point of when my daughter passed her driver's license test, she didn't know my wife had come down in a different car. So we hugged her, and I handed her my keys. I said, we'll see you when we see you. She looked at the keys, looked at me. She says, what if I have a crash? I said, I, I pay a man to worry about that. The insurance guy... He, he stays up at night with ulcers over that. I don't need to. <laughs> You'll be fine. Why did I do all of that? Because I remembered what God has done to me. He's given me keys to stuff I didn't know how to use. He's thrown me into places I didn't know what to do. He's been faithful even when I doubted him. Now, Isaacs, I understand. I understand that you're going to struggle. I'll struggle alongside you. I will never ask of you more than I need to ask. I will look upon you the way I look upon myself, as a learner. One more story, maybe. <laughs> you never know. I might think of something else. I forgot stuff a while ago. I still owe you a few things. <laughs> now, you're going to hate this whole concept, all right? But the adults in Breton love this concept. Whenever you pass your driver's test in Breton, you have to put a big L on the front and back of your car. It stands for learner. Now, this is not learner's permit. You've got your license. But for that first year, big white thing with a big red L, learner, front and back. Why? So everybody gives you a little bit more room. <laughs> and they're going, oh, right there. There's the rookie, you know, and, but even, even the worst learner knows how to do a roundabout better than people live in Franklin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not a roundabout here. It's Circus Maximus. It's, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's like Ben-Hur, you know, as you're going around. Uh, somebody going for the world record. Yeah, I just, anyway. So anyway, a friend of mine named Jack Exum, some of you might have heard of Jack over the years, great man in the church, was over in Ireland as a, um, Northern Ireland, as, as a missionary for a while. And he, uh, he went and got his, uh, took his son for the driver's test, and, and he passed the test, and they slapped the L, the L plates, they're called, on the front and the back, and they went home. But then Jack remembered, I've got a few visits I need to make. So he took off in a car alone, didn't remove the L plates, you don't have to. Uh, entered a roundabout. I don't know what he was thinking. Evidently, it was something American because he went in the wrong way. 
Cars began to scatter. Jack went into the ditch. Now, about that time, he looks up, and here come a bunch of Irish people out of their cars at him. You need to know something. I'm allowed to say this. My mom's Irish. Irish people have a heart as big as a basketball and a fuse that short. <laughs> and they're all coming until the biggest, meanest Irishman he'd ever seen in his life, who was leading the charge, threw out his hands when he got close. He goes, wait a minute, laddies. He's nothing but a learner. And then everything changed. Now, Jack never brought up those weren't his L plates. <laughs> they all gather. You doing all right, son? Oh, well, you know, you're, you're late in life for learning, but we get it, you know, and it's a, it's, a hard, it's a hard road. You'll learn it eventually. Everything changed because of the L plates. They lifted the car back on the road. You can do that with, with British cars. Would you like to see mine? No, they're small. <laughs> I had, I, had a, I had one that was two-cylinder, Citroen 2CV, zero to 60 by Thursday, noonish. <laughs> There's that time I ran over gum, I had to get out and push. It was amazing. But as I'm, anyway, they lifted it on, and as, as he was driving off, the big, mean Irishman was running alongside, shouting encouragement. All that changed was the L-plates. Welcome to a church where everybody's wearing an L-plate. We're all learning. We don't know how to do this yet. I'm 57. I've never been 57 before. I know that it doesn't feel like 40. But I still don't know how to act 57. By the time I get it done and understood, I'll be 58. I thought about my grandfather this week. Didn't get to know him much because my father didn't approve of him. But I got to know him a little bit. Never forget when the doctor told him he was going to die. He says, is there anything I could do? And the doctor goes, yeah, you could rub some dirt in your face every day. And he goes, well, that keep me from dying. He goes, no, but it'll get you used to it. Uh, that. <laughs> I'll give you time. Right, because if you like to explain that to somebody... And, I, and I, I want to grow old gracefully. I want to do it right, but I've never done it before. So place a learner plate on me, would you? Place one here and on the praise team and on the shepherds and treat each other with grace and gently because while some of you have the gift of faith, we have a lot of Isaacs here, bruised, and they need love, gentle love. We've never been here before, have we? We're not coming back again. Would you stand and let me offer you a blessing? And would you bring your team up, please, Mark? God will never demand from you more than you can give. And he knows you. He may demand from others a lot more than he demands from you. But that's because he knows you've been hurt. Psalm 139 he knew you in your mother's womb. He understands the why. He will gently woo you so that your life will end in blessing, even though it will end. You may never have the reputation and the renown of those among you, but you will be esteemed by God who has time for you, who has a place for you in his house. Are you Isaac? Trust God. It wasn't his idea to burn you. He's waiting for you. 
never tiring of you. C.S. Lewis once described the Christ figure in his book, Aslan, by saying, he is good, but he is not safe. I agree, God is not safe, but he is not one-dimensional. He will work with you, will you? Scoot a little closer to God and see what he can do with a wee bit of faith that still remains in you. He doesn't need you to be a hero or a giant. He can use the jawbone of an ass. Still is. He can use a small pot of oil. He can use a stick in the hand of an 80-year-old shepherd. And if he can use and find a use for Balaam's donkey, shall we say, he can find a use for you because even the Isaacs are welcome in his house.